Hello everybody, my name is Eric Mercier. I am co-owner of Juice Imports and today we're gonna walk you through uh, the January, is it January? edition of our natural wine club, the premium edition, in fact. Uh, so we have three really wicked wines to taste, uh, but we have a guest in the studio today. Uh, I'll have you introduce yourself and let us know what you do and cool. all those things. <laughs> uh, hi, I am Mai uh, Takahashi. I am a sake sommelier um, over at Lonely Mouth, um, a new Japanese restaurant. No, actually, I shouldn't say Japanese restaurant, Japanese-inspired restaurant, but mm. sake bar. And I think we are the first sake bar in Calgary, which I'm pretty proud of. Um, so I'm over there. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for uh, making the time. It's, uh, <laughs> it's super exciting to do sort of these, these parallels between uh, other fermented beverages and wine, uh, just because there are so many things in common, but there are so, also are so many things that are different. I think for... A lot of our audience, they're probably not super familiar with sake. Uh, again, other than the fact that I worked at a wine shop and yeah. and you know had some some great mentors in the yeah. in the sake biz, I would have no idea uh, either. So it's, uh, it's pretty common, I think. It's that's what yeah. I get all the time. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, we have some wine to taste. Uh, you know, we've opened everything today, so we can actually geek out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, first wine, I, I opened some bubbles. Um, so this is Pinard et Fille. Uh, they're coming out of Quebec, uh, cool. Quebecois winery. So they're um, working mostly with hybrid grape varieties. So uh, grape varieties that uh, aren't of exclusively of European descent, essentially. So this is um, uh, Le Cresson, which is a great variety that I'm super excited about. I think that it might even be able to be grown in Alberta because it can survive down to minus 39, wow. which is pretty crazy. Um, in this region, though, it still gets cold enough that they actually bury the vines during the winter in order to keep them warm. Uh, and actually, it helps during the, the spring as well so that they don't wake up too early. It basically insulates them from any sort of like fluctuations in temperature. Very it's cool. not necessarily like being cold or being warm that's the problem. It's like going up and down. Um, so yeah, this is made from Le Croissant and then Fontenac Blanc, which is sort of like the other, uh, I guess, major classic hybrid grape variety in the area. Um, both of them are pretty aromatic. Le Croissant usually smells like muscat. Uh, Frontenac Blanc, a little less like intensely so. Sometimes Semillon kind of characteristics mm -hmm. for me. Um, sometimes kind of Riesling-esque characteristics. Um, but what makes this really interesting is that it was uh, skin fermented for three months. So orange wine, classic orange wine making technique. Um, and then they do traditional method. Uh, so they're adding uh, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of yeast uh, in bottle and doing a long élevage sur lit. Normally with orange wine bubbles, you see orange wine pet nat, uh, right. these sort of maybe less serious styles versus this is like ultra serious, meant to maybe not emulate champagne. I'm pretty sure Fred is not trying to emulate champagne here, <laughs> but at least from like a textural perspective, uh, going for something that's like a little more uh, profound than, than something like Pat Nat, perhaps. Gotcha. So, but yeah, cool. that's what I'm we have in our glass. Super excited to try it. I'm just loving that aroma there. Mm -hmm. like, so sweet, mm -hmm. like, rais like raisins. Totally. Yeah, that really sort of like white raisin, mm -hmm. almost like... Um, Wait, what are white raisins? Salt. 
Sulternus? Sulternus? Uh, what are they? Sultanas? Sultanas. Yeah. I always get them mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like lots of, yeah, like Welch's grape juice, kind of like that white grape juice kind of quality. But also a lot of, um, I get a lot of persimmon on this, like that mm. really sort mm-hmm. of like dense orange fruit, uh, like ume plums. Um, ume plums for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, different right now. <laughs> <laughs> Bubbles okay. are hard. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like sea buckthorn, like any of those sort of like weird sort of like orange kind of salty fruits. Yeah. Um, I definitely get a ton of that. Um, yeah. Also, though, like this really bruleed kind of characteristic too, as well too. Like almost like the the top of a creme brulee, mm-hmm. like that kind of like crunchy sugar vibes. Yeah, but I do like when you the second you said ume, mm-hmm. I'm just like yeah ume, like umeshu. Like here, just like popped in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like sparkling, so dry, mm-hmm. vibes. So, I guess one of the first things that we can talk about is, as sort of a comparison is that um, over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot more uh, sparkling sake yes. on the market. Yeah. Is this something that's being driven by uh, by Japan's interest in consuming sparkling products, or more by an international sort of desire to? Uh, you know, make sake more approachable or mm-hmm. fun or, or whatever the reason happens to be. Um, I think the latter. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, um, like, don't quote me because I don't actually know, but there is such a huge increase in boom in sparkling sakes, and I think um, just the direction that they're they're going and the type of sparkling sakes that they're making, it seems like it's more <laughs> catered to, um, like, our, our palate. Totally. Yeah. Um, especially, I know, I'm sure you've had the Misumi sparkling, yeah, totally. you know, they do it like very like pet nat style yeah. and it's just the, those flavor profiles are wild, you know, yeah. it's super funky and you know, like it's like kind of like brioche yeasty kind of, it's fun. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I wish I knew the answer, but I feel like it yeah, would be the latter. Yeah. Sort of more international. Yeah. yeah. It's fair. Because and originally sake was meant to be paired with um, with food, mm-hmm. Japanese cuisine, and naturally like sparkling beverages weren't really a thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's really interesting too, like if we look at the history of sparkling wine, it's like actually really closely tied to uh the evolution of glass making because essentially what happened was like the French weren't actually able to make bottles that could withstand like sparkling wine being inside them. They would just explode, but the British were able to make it. So they would buy French wine, put it into British, uh, British glass, and then it could become sparkling. So I wonder if it's the same sort of thing where it's like, um, like historically it was never done because uh, they like had no reason to make glass that could withstand right. bubbles essentially right. or like again traditional vessels I don't know what the traditional right. vessel would have been for for sake but maybe yeah. not even glass like maybe yeah it was, um, well that's so fascinating I had no idea well like traditionally sake served in ochokos and they're like these little tiny tiny little ceramic cups totally and some are ceramic some are glass um but yeah they're like and it's not until quite recently that people started enjoying sake and wine glasses. For and sure. now I just drink sake and wine glasses. Yeah. But I think you have to really geek, want to geek out on sake mm-hmm. to like really enjoy sake out of a wine yeah. glass. But um, yeah, I, I always suggest wine glass. Yeah. Do you, an interesting question, but do you think it tastes 
better out of a wine glass or you can just get more flavor out of it. Yeah, more flavor. Yeah. Yeah, I think more aromas. And and totally. with that, it would taste a little bit better. Or you'd yeah. be able to enjoy it a yeah. little bit more. Or at I least think. hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sure it makes like the bad ones taste worse and the good ones taste better. It's well, like the same thing with wine. <laughs> at Lonely Mouth, we serve... Um, our sakes in different vessels depending on mm. like the style. Totally. And so certain sakes, I would highly suggest you drink it out of a wine glass. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, just to be able to pick up all those like mm. characteristics and those notes that are like so beautiful that you would never think if you didn't know much about sake yeah. that you'd be able to pick up, and it's For so sure. fun. And then there are some sakes that are a little bit more um, like muted or more savory. You don't really need to be like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> swirling yeah. over and yeah. over again. Yeah. It's like swirling like Pinot Grigio, like yeah. uh, Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio. Yeah. Like you're just like, cool. Like yeah. you're never going to get anything. You and, can swirl yeah, all day, exactly. every day. Yeah. There's literally nothing that you get. <laughs> it's meant to be like thirst quenching, totally. quaffable. You know, yeah. it's not meant to tax you yeah. mentally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> totally yeah. fair. And, and I don't think sake was always meant to be enjoyed that way either, right? It was just, yeah. it was a food pairing for sure. It was just um, something to, you know, bring, like enhance umami in certain dishes, mm-hmm. you know, bring acidity. So it wasn't meant to be like, you know, mm-hmm. sniffed and yeah, like, yeah, yeah, swirled. And, but a lot of people do that now. And I think it's a really good way to enjoy sake for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of acidity, I, I remember talking to Toshi about this like, uh, like years ago, but the idea that uh, sake, because it's, it's made from rice, it gets all of its acidity through, uh, like fermentation processes mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's, it's not a fruit. So it doesn't have tartaric acid the way the wine does mm-hmm. it has, uh, lactic acid because mm-hmm. of fermentation. And so the acidity profile between sake and wine is like, I find one of the biggest differences. Uh, I have no idea what like the pH of sake is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm but I assume it's like way more sort of neutral, um, a softer style. And Toshi was talking a lot about how um, historically their uh, acidity was almost thought of as a bad thing, but he's talking about how some of the younger producers are way more interested in making, you know, at least something with moderate acids so that you can drink more of it. It's fresher. It goes with more food. Have you seen that sort of trend happening? So you know? much. Um, and it's so fun to be a part of the sake industry now because there are some amazing, like, young sake um, brewers that are doing, like, really cool, non-traditional things. Mm-hmm. Very controversial, I'm sure, because, you know, <laughs> you know like, Japan, yeah. like... Japanese people are very traditional and, Mm -hmm. you know, they, and I love that about Japanese tradition and my parents are that way as well. So I'm used to that, but, um, it's really cool. There's, um, a few that I know of that have been so inspired and influenced by, um, like European, like Mm winemaking. And so a good example is like, I, my, my current obsession is Senkin and their two brothers who took over their family business um, but, uh, they are, um, both super into wine. I think the older brother is the wine sommelier and loves, um, German and Alsatian wines. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, um, like, especially like Rieslings, right? So oh. like higher acidity and a little bit of sweetness. Mm-hmm. And so before they took over their family brewery, 
I think they're like 11th generation. Um, they were like, okay, well, if we're coming to take over this brewery, we want to do something super cool and yeah. bring kind of like our, you know, our wine knowledge and our inspiration into sake making. So all of their sakes are like super high in acidity, yeah. a little bit sweeter. It drinks like mm. a Riesling so much. That's super cool. And um, yeah, so they have a few lines, but they're all Daikinjos and they're all undiluted. Like nothing's added, nothing's taken away. It's like so cool. I will, mm-hmm. I will next time... I come by, I'll, I'll like, I'll bring some, but, yeah. um, hey, let's definitely yeah. Take some. <laughs> and so if you're, yeah, like a Riesling drinker, like it's just this crushable, delicious, um, sake. There's another guy who, um, Kuheiji, the brewer there, the owner, the president, I think he's like the 15th generation. Jeez. I know, right? <laughs> um, he was super inspired by the wines in Burgundy and he spent mm. a lot of time in Burgundy. So he came back to Japan and started producing um, sakes that were like very inspired by like kind of like Burgundian wine. So the yeah. flavor profiles there. Totally. And he now has, I think like in the last couple of years, like went to Burgundy and he's now also making wine. Of course. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> As one does. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's really cool that they do do that. Yeah. Um, and sake is not, it never used to be like terroir driven mm. as wine is. And the, a lot of these younger producers are actually like, like growing their own, harvesting their own rice and yeah. around the same area as a brewery and like, you know, using terroir as kind of like, um, a way of making sake and making sh- like, I don't know, just showing how what a difference that makes in sake yeah. making yeah totally yeah Which i remember hearing that um sort of like the hierarchy of of flavors when it comes to to sake is like uh the yeast that you use is the most important thing the koji that you use is the mm-hmm. second most important thing mm-hmm. uh and uh the rice is like way down at the bottom yeah. even after your water source like significantly after like the water that you're using right uh I feel like, and again, this is like a, a very like Calgary centric interpretation of this, but I, I feel like the move is towards uh, like single rice varieties, really isolating like great rice varieties, mm-hmm. uh, getting them from specific places. So mm-hmm. maybe more of this move towards terroir. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a, an yeah, appropriate that is, interpretation. Yeah, that, that is the direction that it's going and it's so cool. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever been really done before. Totally. So, yeah, um, yeah, it is really neat. There's, um, there's an idea, I think, I think you might have been there for it. A few years ago, we did a sake event at Sukiyaki House, and um, it was a tasting of three different sakes mm-hmm. um, from the same, like, same brewer, and they did three plots of land where yeah. they grew sake rice. Mm-hmm. And so it's like three different patties in the same area, but like in just slightly different areas. So like yeah. one by the mountain, one by the river, one in between, all made the exact same way using the same rice, Yeah. but they all came out so differently. Like it's super cool. Really cool. Yeah. Oh, and then the yeast, back to the yeast thing, there's like um, a few breweries now that are doing flour yeast, making sake with flour yeast. Which is also super cool. What? Yeah. What is that? Tell so, me about that. <laughs> um, 
I can't remember what the university is called, but there's like an agriculture university in Japan. Yeah. And they specialize in cultivating or isolating flower yeast. Okay. Huh. And these graduates of these universities go on to like work at breweries or yeah. their family might send their kids, like, you know, brewery owners might send their kids to these universities and um, they isolate like different flower yeasts and experiment with them hmm. in sake. Super cool. And so there's a, there's a place called Amabuki and they use, I think, sunflower um sunflower yeast yeah uh strawberry flower yeast like strawberry blossom yeast um (laughs) i think begonia i think is another one there's just like Mm -hmm. different flowers that they were able to like successfully isolate and use totally and just i think to get more like the more of those like floral aromatics Um, it doesn't really impart that much of those like flower notes obviously but um it's just so interesting yeah and it, there's a, there's one that's strawberry yeast, the strawberry flower yeast, and it's wild. Yeah. It doesn't taste like strawberry. No, but, but it's interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah. It's creamy. <laughs> it's um, it's definitely like it's got this like very developed like floral notes, mm. which is wild. Super cool. And yeah. I know some say like you know, flavor profiles are subjective, but like um, yeah, some some do say, oh my god, I get strawberry. Yeah. It's cool. It's it is really cool. Totally. And it's, you know, we, we talk about this in wine all the time where it's like 60% of the flavor comes from the yeast. It mm-hmm. doesn't come from the grape. Mm-mm. And that's coming from like a fairly aromatic base product. Like mm-hmm. if you're to have a handful of rice and a handful of grapes, grapes definitely have more like, uh, like aromatics, like, yeah. you know, they have fruitiness yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. So I can only imagine with sake, like even more of that flavor is coming through these, these fermentation processes and and unveiling things that are in the rice, but they're just not volatile mm-hmm. at the time that you harvest the rice. Like the rice is just, it's fairly neutral on its own until it goes through these reactions and it releases all these, you know, potential flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that's super cool. It is like really, it, it is really cool. And when it comes to sake making, brewers normally have, um, like that final product in mind Mm -hmm. before they decide what they're going to do and how they're Mm -hmm. going to go about it. Totally. You know, so they want to make, say they want to make a daiginjo with like, you know, certain characteristics. That's when they'll decide, okay, so we're going to control the temperature this way. This is the yeast that we're going to use. This is the koji that we're going to use just to get that outcome that they want. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's so controlled every single step of the way for the most part is like, yeah, you know, very, yeah, yeah, like it's controlled. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the other word is, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Totally. Just trying a blank. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, All right. So one more question before we get onto the next one. Um, this is delicious. Yeah. I was going to ask, like if you were to compare this to a sake that you currently have on the list, like mm. if somebody's like, Oh, I like this profile. Is there a sake on the list that you think would be like kind of a cool side by side where it's, if you like these flavors, maybe try this. Um, oh, that's hard. And if not, that's also fine. <laughs> it is a very unique wine. It's uh, super unique. There are sakes that do have like a really nice balance, not sparkling, 
Um, but like a balance of like, it does have a bit of like savoriness, this, this wine and like also like stone fruits and you do get, yeah, like a lot of stone fruit actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I'm sorry. I might... Hey, that's okay. You, you can pass it on to the next one. Yeah. Lots of, uh, lots of opportunities. Um, all right. So next up here, sort of my goal for, for this year uh, with the wine club was to make it more educational. <laughs> uh, not that it wasn't educational already, but I just think that there's a lot of opportunity for learning. Um, and one of the best ways of doing that is, is sort of side-by-side comparisons. So the next two wines that we have are made by the same producer. Okay. They're from the same vintage. They're from the same grape variety. They're from the same region, but one is made as a rosé and one is made as a red wine. And so it's sort of a way of exploring this grape variety, but in all its sort of glory and in all the ways that it can be uh, expressed. You could also make it into a white wine, I guess, but uh, I think with uh, this particular grape, which is Zinfandel, uh, it's cool to sort of see it in, in, you know, multiple different lights. Um, so the, the vines that we have, uh, this is coming from Sonoma, uh, Sonoma, for those of you who aren't familiar, is California, just north of San Francisco. Uh, it's, it's basically this, uh, valley that runs north south. And what happens is via the San Francisco Bay, uh, uh, clouds and, and cold air come off the ocean and get sort of sucked inwards up this valley. Um, you know, first thing in the morning, you're basically waking up inside of a cloud. Uh, and because of this, it, it allows a lot of cooling effect. So in a region that would in theory be too hot to make really premium wine, it's actually quite cool because of these really unique sort of uh, factors to do with the, the, um, the topography here, essentially. Um, Brock Sellers, a producer that we've loved for a long time, uh, now actually the longest we've imported any producer, um, which is really, really exciting. And we, we plan on continuing working with them indefinitely forever and always. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a project that they started a couple, uh, years ago, which is the White Zinfandel project. Uh, then they didn't make it for a couple years and then they finally, uh, got the right crop in order for them to make it last year. Uh, they blended it with a little bit of orange wine, but this is the first year um, where it's essentially, uh, I think there's like 1% something else in there, but I, it's essentially 100% Zinfandel. Um, again, white Zinfandel, hilarious history in California of uh, originally it was like essentially poorly fermented mm-hmm. uh, Zinfandel that was bled off from like what ended up being like a really good red wine. But people tasted it and were like, this is crazy delicious. Uh, we should drink all of this all the time. It became this sensation. It's known for being sweet. It's known for being low alcohol. It's known for, you know, et cetera, et cetera, for not being interesting. But Brock was like, I bet we can make really badass uh, skin, like, you know, uh, rosé style white Zinfandel. Uh, I think it's genius. I think it's like so thoughtful of him to do a throwback to old school California while also being like, but we can do it better, <laughs> like more modern version at the yeah. very least. So Wow. I don't think I've ever had a white Zinfandel quite like it. No. It's delicious. Okay. Yeah. Don't judge me. I'm not judging. <laughs> or my childhood or not childhood, my past, but I, <laughs> I used to have a lot of friends who would drink like crush like just those like 
fruity, sweet, disgusting, like white Zinfandels. Totally. Like booms or something like yeah, that. I know. Or like it was like, used to call it like cougar juice. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. Like <laughs> headache in a bottle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Horrible. Oh, yeah. Haven't really come across white Zinfandel since, to be honest. I know. And it's funny too. We it's actually, just... on this like crazy trip we went on forever ago, when trips were a thing, um, <laughs> we went to. Uh, the place where the first ever White Zinfandel was made. It was like a government-sponsored trip, so we kind of had to go to some of these sort of bigger, more corporate wineries as well. And so we went to the place where, like, Sutter Holmes White Zinfandel was made for the first time ever. And we were sitting on a patio, and, you know, like, they're trying to schmooze us into, like, ordering more wine. And so, uh, you know, they're pouring us expensive bottles of, of stuff from Europe, stuff that they didn't even make. And uh, our good friend Brad Royale uh, Brad. pipes up, oh, and he's like, hey... It's like 30 degrees out. We're sitting on a patio in California in the place that literally made white Zinfandel <laughs> a thing. Can we drink a bottle of white Zinfandel? Like, I know you're opening $100 bottles of wine, but can you or open an $8 bottle of, like, Sutter Holmes white <laughs> Zinfandel? And we crushed it, and it was so good. I was like, this is... It's unarguably delicious. Like, it's, like, it's sweet and it's juicy. Like, it's delicious the same way that... that uh, you know, Dr. Pepper is delicious or the same way that yeah. like a Twinkie or like a McDonald's hamburger, right. like it's, it's yeah. manufactured mm-hmm. to be delicious. You have no <laughs> choice but to find it delicious. Is it compelling? No, but it is definitely delicious. Yeah. And that's why this is in some ways better is because it is both delicious, but it is also incredibly compelling and complex and cerebral and, and you know, mm-hmm. exciting. And it tells a story about a place and, and a time and, all those sort of things, but anyways. Can't but. imagine uh, if you guys were sober. Hmm. I I remember not being very drunk. But I like, thoroughly enjoyed that. Thoroughly like, enjoyed oh. it. Thoroughly, wow. 100% enjoyed it. I would drink another one right now uh, if it was 30 degrees so, out yeah. and I was okay. on a patio. Yeah. I like that you compared it to like like crushing like a Dr. Pepper. Totally. Yeah, like, just like serve every it on so ice. Often. Yeah, like yeah, serve it over of... crushed ice. Gotcha. Uh, with like a straw, so it dilutes <laughs> just a little bit. Like, yeah, or like as a white wine spritzer, even like you want something that's like seven okay. percent alcohol, like juicy. It's like no different than than drinking a like a uh, like a spritz, like a like a Campari spritz. Like right. I'm like it's just as manufactured. Uh, True. And it's like it's probably the same ratio of sweetness to acidity. Uh, it doesn't have the botanical qualities that I really like about Campari, yeah. but at the same time, it's got some it's got some things. Uh, yeah, fair know. enough. But, it might yeah. just be my personal <laughs> PTSD from my oh, youth. Oh, for sure, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think oh. we all have that wine. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. But um, this is just as crushable. Like yeah. it is delicious. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But really um, yeah, it doesn't have like those, like headache causing sweetness no. it's still it yeah, this smells is like zero like grams candy. per liter of sugar yeah, yeah totally it does smell like candy like watermelon candy yeah is, yeah for sure i'm trying to think of like what gummy it reminds me of yeah holy moly your collection of glasses <laughs> it's, uh, I love them. it's getting up there i just i'm i'm just about to get another pair as well too, oh really so i uh, love them yeah <laughs> you need like a glass case um like you know there's like Clear glass Totally. Yeah. I definitely want something to display them. Yeah. I feel like they, de- they deserve a little bit better than just being, you know. Yeah. 
just um, chucked on that. Those blue glasses. Sorry to get off topic. It just reminded me. Um, I think I was with my dog in the elevator when it was, it was one of those like minus 40 days. Yeah. And you walked into the elevator, but you must've just come from inside because your glasses were all oh, yeah. fogged up and I don't know how you were able to see anything. I'm sure I wasn't able to see anything. No, I don't else. think you were. Yeah. It was like completely white. It was white. echolocation at that yeah, point. Yeah. And you just like yeah. walked in, turned around and then like got off on, like, I'm assuming this floor and like, oh, man. I, was, like I think that was yeah, the amount of times that I've snubbed people in that I know who live in the building in the elevator is mm-hmm. like far too high. I'm always in this building. I am on just like uh, I don't know. I have blinders on or something like that. I remember uh, last summer I had like this really bad like ear issue, so I like couldn't hear it all out of my right ear, and I got on the elevator, uh, and again like not paying attention to anything. And I guess like one of the guys that I know in the building was standing right next to me. He's like, "Hey, how's it going?" I said nothing to no, him. No, didn't even Fully turn around. Him. And he got off the elevator and he's like, all right, cool, like bye. And I was like, oh, like, I'm so sorry, like yelling it through the elevator <laughs> as, as it's closing. closing. Absolutely classic. Oh, that's so but. funny. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Well, I wasn't sure. I I it looked like you, but then yeah. It's hard to say when I got yeah. like the toque on, the fogged yeah, up glasses, did. a mask on. Probably hood yeah, over top really of that. Right. You're, yeah. you're really guessing yeah. based on like yeah. two inches of my face. And so. I just assumed that you couldn't see me because yeah. I couldn't oh, for sure. even see your eyes through those glasses. So, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very possible. But. Okay. <laughs> I won't take offense next time. Okay, no. deal. <laughs> um, all right, so digressing a little bit, getting back into sake. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think most of our, our viewers sort of understand how wine is made. Um, do you want to maybe give us a rundown on like just, you know, the quick once over on, on what the sake making process is, and then they'll kind of have a, a better idea on, on what the differences are, why in some ways it is brewing and in some mm-hmm. ways it is similar to winemaking and, and there is sort of this, this crossover where it doesn't really fit neatly into either. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, so we always say sake is brewed like beer mm-hmm. and, but enjoyed like wine, which it is. Um, so the four main ingredients of sake is rice, water, koji mold, um, and yeast. Uh, and so all sake that you'll ever come across will have those four main ingredients. Um, so the difference when we're fermenting rice versus um, wine, grapes, is that wine naturally has sugar and yeast, whereas like just a like grains of rice does not. Yeah. So in order to be um, to to make rice fermentable, you have to add koji, which breaks down that starch into fermentable sugar. Mm-hmm. So koji is a mold that you find in um, like soy sauce, miso, like a lot of Japanese ingredients, totally. right? All the most delicious things. Yeah, all of the delicious <laughs> things, and a lot of them. I think there's like science. Like it's backed by science. I promise. Um, it's that. It's the. It's uh, koji is what causes umami flavor mm. in soy sauce in yeah. um in like miso and yeah. in sake um i just can't remember what the um it's like uh is it glutamate or i think that's what it's called yeah yes it's like what, what it yeah. yeah 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 for sure yeah the msg yes yes yeah monosodium glutamate yes yeah and um and so so like koji produces um, those like umami flavors and so that's why a lot of sakes you get those like really you know you do get like those fruit forward notes and floral notes but then like at, like you know like umami finish and totally. so it goes so well with food yeah um so anyway so koji so that helps break down 
the starches into fermentable sugars, and then they add the yeast to turn the sugars into alcohol. Totally. And it sits for, like, I'd say, like, um, upwards of, like, two months, depending on the style of sake that uh, they're making, um, at, to ferment. Mm-hmm. And... Um, what was the question again? Sorry. Oh, oh it was just comparing the, uh, <laughs> comparing the differences between yeah. you know, winemaking versus So sake. then it's, um, it's, it's fermented. So that's why like these things are added. And, mm-hmm. and this is where the brewers get to kind of like play around because depending totally. on the type of koji that they choose um, or depending on what kind of yeast that they choose uh, brings very, very, very different, you know, characteristics and flavor totally. profiles and styles. Um, the other thing is water. Mm-hmm. Uh, water totally. is one of the main ingredients. Um, and hard water versus soft water. That can drastically Huge change. Yeah, yeah, because the minerals in hard water can like bring out different flavor profiles. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of times if you find like more umami-driven sakis, they, they probably use... Um, harder, harder water, water. Yeah. yeah and then softer water it's more of those like delicate more totally. elegant lighter sakes yeah. um, the other thing uh, that can change the style of sake is the temperature at which the sake mm. is uh, fermented yeah. um, so fermentation totally. temperatures and like just like by a few degrees but mm-hmm. um, so warmer temperatures cause um, will create like a little bit more it, it'll make the fermentation a lot quicker yeah and it'll create more of like those like savory, umami, totally. more yeah, cereal more characters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then it's the same thing in wine too. Like, right. It's like if you do like a Chardonnay fermentation at like twenty five degrees Celsius, it's gonna bring out mm-hmm. sort of more of those basic characteristics. Versus if you're doing like a Sauvignon Blanc fermentation at like four degrees Celsius, right? Then you're getting like papaya and jackfruit and yeah. everything's just like crazy fruity and floral. Yeah. So it's the same sort of comparison. For yeah. Sure. There you yeah. go. So those are I guess like similar um, comparisons. And what else goes into sake making? Um, there are examples of mm-hmm. uh, so like the two processes where you're where you're adding things so adding koji mm-hmm. um there are examples of producers who do um like a wild conversion essentially where they're like uh like uh, essentially like allowing that transformation to happen with like indigenous populations of bacteria like in the air uh and then same thing with fermentation there are examples of producers that are doing wild fermentation right uh, as opposed to adding yeast uh again is this something that's becoming like more popular less popular the same amount of popular uh how is that like sort of looked at in the like are people like super are most people super anti that that ideology or is there more sort of desire to chase those you know um, I think 90, okay, again, don't quote me, but majority of the sakes that are out there, um, they add the yeast. And I mm-hmm. think that's kind of been streamlined, uh, or sorry, at uh, lactic acid and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but the traditional method, so it's um, actually called the Kimoto method, which is like okay. super traditional. Uh, it's before they were able to add anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to actually like, 
because so they need lactic acid in the fermentation just to kill all those like bad bacteria, totally. right? Yeah. And so to create that before they were able to add it uh, manually, um, they would they, there was a style called kimoto, and they would get these like wooden sticks. Yeah. And they would kind of like mash the rice. Oh, yes. Just to kind of help. Totally remember. Yeah, yeah. Just help the rice um, kind of create naturally like this lactic yeah. acid. And so um, they still, there's a lot, like, there's a lot of people who are still doing that. Yeah. Um, and that extra kind of like step. Yeah. Um, because it creates extra lactic acid, mm -hmm. you will find um, higher acidity levels yeah. in so like in Kimoto cool. style sakes. Yeah. So if you ever see a sake that says Kimoto, like that's um like you you should yeah. expect a little bit higher acidity. Um, and then Yamahai. Yeah, I was gonna ask. Yamahai yes. is the is, is the when so yeah so yeah. they stopped that. Um, okay. So <laughs> it's like the Kimoto method, but without um, adding that like lactic acid, but also not yeah. pounding on it with a wooden stick. Yeah. And they just let it kind of do its own thing. Yeah. But it takes like double the time, like two For or sure. three extra weeks. Mm -hmm. So a lot more time, um, a lot more kind of in, in like this very controlled environment. So, and so that's the Yamaha method. And they also have um, kind of higher acidity, but also you know, you do get like Some all that like ambient, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, like a lot of funk, a lot of mushroom, like yeah. earthy, like really cool characteristics totally. come out yeah. of like Yamaha's you know, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that style. Yeah, like me too. Yeah. yeah, they're super savory. Yeah. They remind me Very. a lot of like Southern Rhone whites or like Burgundy, right? Like in, in sort of like warmer vintages where it's sort of again low acid but still like rich and and savory element and yeah i don't know yeah. i really like them i think yeah. they're super fun it's definitely yeah. an acquired taste though yeah. i think um it's it's definitely not for everybody which for i've sure. learned because i love it yeah <laughs> and it's it's for sure a food yeah like it's a food sake yeah yeah you're talking to somebody who like literally specializes in things that like, most people yeah, don't that's like true. Uh, <laughs> yeah i'm like all, yeah. all i do is convince people to try yeah. to like, find an interesting yeah. thing and hopefully they like yeah. it sometimes but <laughs> yeah yeah i think I'll, I want to eventually get there, but like for now, I, I'm I'm trying to introduce everyone to sake. So I've been pushing a lot of like approachable sakes yeah. and like introductory sakes, which have been going really well. Like yeah. everyone's been so receptive, which I'm so happy about. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It seems you know when we were there. Uh, yeah, people are crushing sake. I like know. it's, <laughs> it's I am, uh, the amount of sake we're going through is insane. Oh yeah. 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 What is what is access to sake like in Calgary? Like in Alberta as a general statement? Uh not the best. Yeah. Um so before Lonely Mouth, I did work for um, a sake importing company mm -hmm. called That's Life. And um that's where also I really, great champagne really, portfolio. yes, they do. Yeah. The, well, their whole portfolio, like their wine totally. portfolio, amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and like lots of amazing sherry. people to work for. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they do love their sherries. Yeah. They like I all the things I do. Thing they I, like, they like, I wish I got into a little bit more. Yeah. That's the thing is like they, yeah, I feel like that portfolio is just like a really great collection of yeah. all the most savory, uh, beverages. My mentor, um, Mariko, she's like a sake educator mm -hmm. and, uh, like importer and she's, yeah, she was probably, like, my fangirl, like, you know, like, sake yeah. 
totally. um, guru. So yeah. I learned a lot from her, and that's how I got into sake. And yeah. it just taught me a lot, because I grew up in Canada. I was born in Japan, but we moved to Canada when I was six. So yeah. I feel like getting into sake, I learned a lot about like my culture and For history sure. and a lot of things that like you know I just never really had the opportunity to experience and learn. So anyways, Mariko was a huge influence. And yeah. Anyways, what were we talking about? About the availability of sake. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's right, that's right. Um, so when I left mm-hmm. and wanted sake, I couldn't find any anywhere. Yeah. And I've searched like everywhere. Yeah. I went on Liquor Connects and looked for every liquor store possible. Well, that's the astonishing thing to me is that there's a lot of great sake listed on Liquor Connect. Mm-hmm. But no one but carries it. I'm, yeah, that's the thing is I never see a store yeah. with a really compelling yeah. sake section. They, they always have like the same three things. Yeah. They're like, cool, we need one that's $20, one that's $30, and one yeah. that's $60. Yeah. And then they're like, we don't care what they are. We just need three things, yeah. those price points. And they uh, haven't really been that good. Vine Arts is great, but their selection's smaller. Um, yeah. Bin 905 yeah. has like a good selection as nice. well. Um, Zin yeah. carries a good amount of sake. But I don't think they move yeah. as much as uh, I, I wish that they would. Mm-hmm. And sake doesn't have a very long life. Yeah. So once it's bottled, it's normally within a year you'd want to consume them. So like totally. I've, I've found sakes in some stores that are like three or four years. It's been on the shelf. And yeah. at that point, like you really don't really want to, it's, mm. it's not going to be like at its best. So yeah. it's really too bad. Um, actually, surprisingly, duckies, um, you know, that little plaza yeah. where duckies oh, of course. is, yeah. there's a mission liquor. Yeah. Oh, they, they probably have like the biggest sake selection. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which is so weird. That out. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And that's the, so again, for people at home that are maybe interested in drinking some sake in the near future and, and they feel maybe a little overwhelmed mm-hmm. by drinking 720 mils of sake over the course of a short period of time, mm-hmm. uh, although they don't last on the shelf for like a really long period of time, mm-hmm. they do last once open for longer than, than grape wine would, uh, Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and like how long do you think somebody has to drink a bottle of sake once they've opened it? I would say consume it within seven days. Mm-hmm. Keep it refrigerated. Totally. Always. Um, it definitely has a lot, uh, like a longer shelf life than, than wine. Yeah. But once it's open, seven, seven days. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. To be fresh. Like there's some sakes that are like so fresh and so bright and vibrant and like yeah, a little bit like you know like there's like <laughs> yeah. this like slight like tingly effervescence and it's so good and yeah. you'll lose all of that totally and yeah oxidized like sake is not the best no no I don't it's think oxidized, still like, enjoyable just like that that yeah great. yeah it's but like you're that not vermouth getting, like, that's been best. sitting in your yeah. like grandmother's shelf for the yeah. last like 40 years and she drinks like one ounce a year you're like that is very bad. Yeah. It is it does not taste good. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's not gonna kill you. For sure. But yeah. you don't want to be serving it to anybody or you know, it yeah. won't yeah, I don't think anyone will really enjoy it. Even unopened sake, like I yeah. have it within the year. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you have unopened sake, keep it in the fridge. Yeah. I wouldn't like I've seen I've I've seen I've visited places where they've had sake unopened just sitting yeah. out 
Totally. And yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend on. that. Yeah. yeah. We can uh, harass Mark about this afterwards because uh, his friend, I, I can't remember if his friend brought it back for him from Japan and gave it to him as a gift or whether he bought it in Japan. But it's definitely, we're at like six years old now. Oh, uh, no. And it's, I think he spent a ton of money on it too or whoever purchased it spent a ton of money on it. And oh. I'm always harassing him every time I go and I'm like, let's just open it. Let's just drink it. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so. I get it. There's like sentimental value. Like, you know, there's like, I there's know. things that you're yeah. like, oh, it's too nice. Like I'm saving it for like a special occasion. And then you keep... Doing that and then six mm-hmm. years ago. <laughs> totally. And you're like, cool, this like special model is now actually undrinkable. Yeah. And its whole like primary purpose is like yeah. you know, out the window. People right? do that with wine all the time. For that's sure. that's true. Um yeah. but there are sakes now that are being aged. For sure. There's vintages th- on sake, I think this which one is, is wild. vintage dated. Oh, I think cool. this one is a vintage dated sake. I wonder uh, what it is. I know, we'll have to harass them. Yeah. Well, Obviously, you should participate so, in drinking yeah. this potentially terrible sake. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so curious. I wonder what it is. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, like going back to, you know, these like younger sake makers doing these really cool things that are very much like wine inspired, yeah, you know? Totally. Terroir, aging, like all of the things. It's it's very, very cool. So, yeah. Um, but if it's anything else, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't recommend drinking <laughs> six-year-old. For sure. Uh, all right, so getting into our last wine mm-hmm. here, and then I have a couple more questions yeah, for sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, so this is Vine Star, uh, also from Brock Cellars. This is their flagship wine by, like, a long shot. This is the wine that made them famous. This is the wine that gets all the accolades. Uh, this is the wine that we look forward to drinking every single year from them because... Honestly, before I started juice, I, I thought that I hated Zinfandel. I thought that it was a stupid grape that could only make <laughs> high alcohol sweet wines, uh, that everybody just like oaked the heck out of it. And it was just undrinkable. Like that was the problem is that it wasn't fun to drink. Uh, it was just overwhelming syrupy sweet styles. And like, I get it. A lot of people like that, but that's like, you know, the people that are happy eating like an O'Henry bar every single day. And for me, Again, I like chocolate, but as like a nice little treat, yeah. you know, here and there. And so for, for me, Zinfandel was like that. It was like over the top. Once a year, I could have a glass of it. And that was like enough for me. But then we started working with Brock Sellers and we tried their Zinfandel and it was everything I love about wine. Um, first of all, it's only 12.5% alcohol. Most of the Zinfandel in the market is 145 to 15% alcohol. So this is harvested um, at least a little bit earlier uh, in order to maintain that freshness. It's also not chaptalized, although why the heck would you ever chaptalize Zinfandel? Uh, there's no reason to add sugar to Zinfandel. It's already, you know. And the problem with Zinfandel is that the grapes on the bunch are all at different ripeness levels. So if you look at a, a bunch of Pinot Noir, all the grapes are the same level of ripe. Versus on Zinfandel, you can have some grapes that are still green and sour, and then some grapes that have actually already started raisinating, so literally turning into raisins on the, on the vine. And so this means that you can end up with super high levels of sugar, but also high levels of acid. It, it usually means the wines end up high alcohol, but if your farming is perfect and your site is perfect as this one is, uh, you can end up with these like really ethereal uh, wines that remind me a lot of the Rhone. So like it mm. remind, this wine tastes like Cote Roti to me. Like it's, it tastes like that combination of Syrah and Viognier where it's like peppery, but also stone fruity. Like, and you don't normally get things like uh, like apricot off of a red wine. But for me, this has notes of apricot. It has this spicy floral quality to it. Um, 
yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic. There's a reason why this wine is, is as hyped up as it yeah. is. And it's like, it's just, it's just deadly. Like I could drink this all day, every day. <laughs> Unfortunately, we only get like, I don't know, like between five and 10 cases a year. So it, it essentially oh, is. Oh, really? Yeah. And the same thing with all these wines, like um, the bubbles, we got eight cases of this year. Uh, the White Zimmerdell, I think we got 10 cases of this year. And then the Vine Star, I think we got eight cases this year. And we set aside three of those cases uh, of, of each of these for this wine club. So it's like not a lot of wine to go around yeah. realistically. Um, That's very cool though. So yeah, it's definitely a, a treat to this get This is to, such uh, a treat. It is so water. good. But I get like the, um, the apricot, but like plum. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the dark plum with the skin. Mm-hmm. You know, the skin has a little bit of that. That like, grippy kind yeah, of quality. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, stone fruits for sure. This is, yeah, absolutely delicious. Yeah, super fun little yeah. wine. Um, Thank I, you. Hey, no problem. That's a, <laughs> This is, a, it's a nice treat for me every single time I get to do this podcast and get to open three bottles mm-hmm. of delicious mm-hmm. wine and get to have a nice little afternoon. Not a bad uh, life, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so last sort of question, um, or I guess last major question, is when somebody's looking at a bottle of sake, uh how do they interpret what they're going to get? What are some of the sort of like standout words that are on uh, a bottle of sake that can maybe indicate uh, style, um, you know, sort of what to expect from it? Because, um, you know, people think, see things like, uh, like Junmai, mm-hmm. uh, Junmai Daginjo. They, they see Honjozo, yeah. they yeah. see like, these things, yeah. Yamaha, yeah. Noto. They yeah. see all these words and they're like, and then okay. numbers and percentages and yeah exactly and so like uh, I think the styles are like really important mm-hmm. like to sort of like know where you are on that spectrum and like what those things are supposed to kind of feel like and taste like and what their design purpose is because mm-hmm. like I, I think like the purpose of like a Honjozo is like very different than like a Jinmai Dagen show I, very I think, much like, yeah so maybe sort of giving an idea of like the styles and, and what it would say on the label in order to get those styles and, and why it's yeah. Yeah. So, um, like sake making is like governed by Japanese law. So to be called a certain style, it has to meet all these requirements. And so for, as far as premium sake goes, there are <laughs> these different polishing ratios yeah. that will allow them to co- like to call a certain style, a certain style. Yeah. Um, and so if you look at a grain and this is how I, how I like, best explain it to to everybody to be honest if you look at an individual grain of rice yeah like an egg a mm-hmm. boiled egg yeah um and you cut it in half like the whites the egg whites are like the outer layers of the rice and that's the the part that carries like all the proteins and um and fats mm-hmm. and they give um sake it's it's umami flavors mm. and the middle the the yolk yeah like the center of the grain is um, is called the shimpaku, okay. and that's like like that pure kind of like starch, starch like yeah. all all of those like floral fruit like crazy f- hmm. flavors actually and notes come from the shimpaku. So when you hear people talk about polishing ratios, mm-hmm. the more you polish off like the proteins and the fats, the outer layers of the rice, the closer you get to the shimpaku, and so you get. Like, you know, more of those, like, floral and those fruit, more, like, just different characteristics um, than sake that's been less polished and it still has, like, the proteins and the fats. Mm-hmm. You'll get, like, more of the umami. 
So, I'm saying that. So, 70% or less, any sake that's been polished, 70% or less, and that's a semi-buai, it's like the polishing ratio. So, if you see like 70% yeah. on like the back of the bottle, it means that 30% of the rice was removed. So, 30% of the yeah. outer layer was removed and 70% is what's left. Yeah. And that would be considered uh, honjozo. Yeah. Or a junmai. Yeah. And so if you see the word junmai or honjozo, um, you should expect more like, you know, bigger, umami, savory, mm-hmm. um, like more maybe earthy, yeah. you know, more of those, like like this, the type of sake that we, we really enjoy. Totally. You know, something that you might pair with like, you know, like a steak dinner. For or sure. like, yeah. you know, like on a cold winter's night with like a nice stew. Totally. Like those are the, those, so it's Junmai's yeah. and Honjozo's. Um, I feel like those are like drinking sakes. Like that's like, that's like you're going to the bar and you're getting wasted. Yeah. And eating like yakitori. And yeah, yeah, just yeah. Like, like yeah, it's yeah, like, like smoking in the room. Yeah, and smoke. Yes. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Like that's, for yeah, sure. That's what I like crushing, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. So those are like really good sakes. Yeah. But again, it's uh, they tend to be a little bit drier and like it some do have like a bit of a funk. So mm-hmm. um, it's not everyone's cup of tea for sure. Totally. Um, but those are the sakes that actually are really good uh, warm if you want mm. if you like warm sake. Um, I know everyone calls it hot sake, but you never really want to drink hot sake. You want to <laughs> no, drink like, really like forty to fifty degrees is like the sweet yeah. spot. Okay, but um, cool. yeah. Um, anyway, so that's I've never had warm sake. Okay, well, you have to come into the yeah. mouth one of these days, like, like while it's still winter. Yeah. <laughs> you got lots of time. <laughs> okay, perfect. But um, yeah, and come in for warm sake because like you can enjoy the same bottle at different temperatures mm. and you'll just have a totally different experience. It's yeah. super fun. Super cool. Um, and then, okay, so then if you go into like 60%, yeah. which means 60% of the rice is remaining and 40% has been removed from the yeah. outer layer... Then you get into the Ginjo style. Mm-hmm. And so there's Junmai Ginjo and Ginjo. So the two yeah. that are like 60% or less polished. Um, and those, you'll start getting into those floral notes or those yeah. fruit notes. Those like, um, yeah, more, more like those delicate, fun um, flavors. Mm-hmm. And then I shouldn't say fun because funky flavors are super fun too. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like just like more, more, more of the like, um, yeah. Yeah. Some of them are like lifted. Yeah. Like, kinda, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this anymore, but this is like how like it used to be described as like the masculine flavor profile versus the feminine, sure. you know, yeah. like I don't think it's a thing anymore, but yeah, like, that's how I learned it back then, and it was like you know just like the more fruit yeah. forward floral and like more like elegant, yeah, definitely. flavors. Um, yeah. And then the and then if you polish it even more up to fifty percent, mm-hmm. which fifty percent of the rice is remaining and fifty percent of the outer layer has been removed, yeah. then you get into the daiginjos, and there's so there's a junmai daiginjo and then there's a daiginjo. Yeah, and that's when you get like just these crazy like super overripe fruit flavors like a lot of bananas and melons and lychee and you know like these tropical fruits which is so fun Mm -hmm. um and they're like yeah i love those too like equally um and then the difference between like like for the daiginjos and the jimmies 
um, or sorry, the Daiginjos and the Ginjos, I mentioned there's a Junmai Ginjo mm-hmm. or a Junmai Daiginjo versus a Daiginjo and a Ginjo. Yeah. So Junmai means pure rice. Mm-hmm. And so that's when um, they don't add any um, like brewer's alcohol yeah. in the sake making process. Yeah, it's so, not fortified. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so that, if you ever do see a junmai, the word junmai, it means mm-hmm. that it's pure rice. So expect more texture. Yeah. You know, a little bit more of a mouthfeel, a little totally. bit more body in your sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it doesn't, if you see sake without the word junmai, then there is a little bit. And it's only like, honestly, like just a teeny tiny bit. And it's yeah. just normally to bring out certain flavor profiles and stuff that the brewer is looking for. Um, and that will, yeah, just a little bit more cleaner. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And then what about sort of like the, the filtered versus unfiltered yeah. pasteurized versus unpasteurized? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, where, so where does that sort the, of the, fil- the filter, non-filtered is like a it's, a, it's a funny word for some people. Um, nigoris yeah. um, are, are, I think, um, what a lot of people consider the unfiltered. Yeah. Whereas all sake is filtered. Yeah. But it goes through like, three at least like around like three uh filtration processes and so it's always even though it's cloudy and it still has little bits of rice particles in it it's still it does go through a filtration process okay um so it's never like completely unfiltered yeah but uh those are they tend to be a little bit sweeter Mm -hmm. just because like rice right it's 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 sweet and um you can actually get different um grades of nigori so you can you can Mm. find like a daikinjo nigori so then if you find that then it'll probably be like creamy tropical fruit like you know what i mean like just pina colada yeah right yeah yeah um or or you can find you know like um something that's like less polished and yeah that would be a little bit more savory creamy but yeah 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 there's like there's <laughs> one that's like they just like really dry yeah yeah it, it, it's it's wild yeah nigori sparkling's kind of like um yeah just a, yeah something that i haven't really explored a lot of yeah but. i feel like these styles like again at least from my own reading is like they're thought of as like fairly kitsch like mm-hmm. they're, they're like uh they're like less serious like they're, yeah. they're like you can hide a lot of things behind that sweetness behind yeah. the textural elements yeah that, you know these little rice particles are yeah. adding uh so it's like it, it's almost more of um uh, like a novelty rather than like a, a serious style, but like all things that start novelty, I feel like there are producers who are like, I bet I can make a good one for sure. Like, and then somebody does make a good one, like we were talking about with the White Zinfandel, yeah. where they're like, Hey, remember that time that for like the last forty years people made really terrible White Zinfandels? Mm-hmm. I bet I can make a good White Zinfandel, <laughs> yeah. and maybe it's sort of the same thing. Yeah, but it probably it probably will be. You know, like there's so many really cool. Um, like newer newer sake brewers toji's um that are doing like such interesting things yeah right because i think sake lost it like a lot of people lost interest in sake for a while mm. and it's not yeah it wasn't until like recently that it started to come back yeah so it's really really great dasai um they're a very well known yeah um sake like company that 
brought Daiginjo style sakes to basically like the Western world and they mm. made Daiginjo's like very approachable. Yeah. Um, or, or, or accessible yeah. to more like, you know, like the, like for us, yeah. like out in the West side. Well, and obviously like when you get rid of that much of the rice, there's mm-hmm. obviously like a financial implication mm-hmm. there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I feel like it took a company that was like sort of of that si- yeah, size exactly. and also of that like foresight Absolutely. to be like, Hey, our market is actually the entire planet yeah. potentially. Yeah. Uh, you know, we should be able to, you know, it, it's, it's like, uh, there are producers in Bordeaux and Shannon and Pop that make like affordable versions mm-hmm. that approximate, you know, the, the, they give you like, uh, at least a hint of what the, the best versions can be. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like they've done a really good job of totally. that. They like, have. Yeah. Like I haven't met a single person that does not enjoy a Dasai. Yeah. Like whether it's a For 23 sure. or, you know, a 50, like they, it's yeah. just so good. Uh, but they make a sparkling. Yeah. And they're sparkling. It, I think it's a 45% polishing ratio. So, mm. yeah, 65 if it's been removed. But it's delicious. Yeah. Like, it's... Unre- I, I wasn't ever really a big fan of Desai. Like, I, you know, like, I appreciate them for what they do. And totally. they do make really good daikinjos. But there's just so many other, you know, great sakes out there, especially daikinjos. Um, so, like, it was just kind of like... Um, like an entry level like sake for a lot. Of, I would gift desais for someone yeah. that's never had um, a sake. For sure. And that was kind of like my go-to. But for myself, like you know, there's just so many other things. But uh, they're they're sparkling. I would I would crush that. Yeah. All the time. Nice. Yeah. So if they're if they're if they continue to do things like that, and I think that's that's their thing, right? It's like mm-hmm. making sake a lot more approachable and accessible for people, not yeah. just daiginjo styles. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah. It's cool that they're doing stuff like that. But I heard someone um, say that right now because they're not producing as much sake, I think it's like, you know, like pandemic related, mm-hmm. that you're able to buy like Dasai rice, like their rice at like a boutique grocery store, like for oh, ris- yeah. to make risotto. Totally. Yeah. I follow this one uh, little rice shop in Tokyo that yeah. like they, again, it's like people don't realize how seasonal different types of rice are Mm -hmm. uh and like especially in a place like japan that is so climatically different from Mm -hmm. north to south uh things are coming into season at different times and like rice gets released at different times depending on how long it's been like aged Mm -hmm. uh there's like a certain like length of time that you can basically sit on Mm -hmm. it and it gets better or worse or whatever and uh yeah following this little rice store it's like it's honestly like they're getting in fresh produce every week all they do is sell rice and they're like this week we got in the new batch of like such and such from like here. Oh, no uh, way. That's and it's so like, cool. Yeah. And they're definitely getting access to like lots of like cool, like sake cultivars and, and things wow. like that. And it's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's super fun. Um, That's really neat. So it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a little rice shop that you follow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> so literally just like, dumb. yeah, this is the level of geekdom that I have where I I'm like, it. if I could spend yeah. more money on rice, I would love to do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right? like this I is wonder my what that would taste like. Oh, I'm, yeah. I bought some, uh, while I was there, which is like a long time ago. Now. Have you like, been to Japan? Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was like six years ago now, but like certain things, I was like, I want to know what the best version of this tastes like. Yeah. I want to know what the best version of this yeah. tastes like. So it's like, we went to this one place that specializes in dashi. And so mm-hmm. we got their sort of like dashi kits and like 
10 times better than anything that I've ever tried to make. And it was out of their kit. And I'm like, this is, this is mind boggling. Uh, and then, yeah, same thing with this rice. Like we brought home like just one little thing of rice just to be like, okay, this is very expensive. Let's figure out what's going on. And I had it and I was like, oh my goodness, this is on a completely another level. Uh, just like texturally. And even when I went for uh, sushi at this one place in Japan, we ended up chatting with the guy that was next to us. And um, he was like, you know, we we geeked out a bunch and he's Mm -hmm. like, Hey, like, can I buy you a piece of sushi? Like I, like I know the chef, I have access to like something that you, that isn't on the menu. And I'm like, ah, like honestly you don't need to, but I I obviously wouldn't refuse. Uh, And so he's like, this is the same uni that you just had but it's served on a different rice uh it's like they only get this rice like one time a year or whatever and he's like the rice is really what makes like rice is like more or sushi is more in this case more rice than it is fish yeah. uh and so he's like it's all about the rice like yeah. this is going to be a game changer and it was like one of the craziest things i've ever tasted like it's just the rice was so flavorful that it became less of like just a starch component to the fish and like more of a like a pairing and it was just completely mind-bending but yeah yeah, like this reverence for rice i I think is like super cool that is so Um, cool yeah my mom is like really into her rice yeah yeah growing up it was just like restaurants who had like the best rice or like she would yeah it was it was really cool and it was hard for us i think growing up in canada for Mm -hmm. her to access yeah. You know, like good quality rice. It was just whatever she could find at the Definitely. grocery store back then. Now I think there's a lot more. Like we have a lot, like you know, like better access to stuff like that. But yeah, but uh, every time we would like go to Japan to visit family, it was just like she always picked the restaurants. Oh and yeah, a lot. She talked about rice so much, and I never <laughs> really had an appreciation for it until so like you cool. know, yeah, now. But um, yeah, it is really really cool, and I learned like through sake um, that we have a very different way of tasting food in Japan. Mm. Um, and so, you know how like every Japanese dish comes with like miso soup, yeah, rice, yeah. and then protein, but there's always rice, mm-hmm. right? And so it's this like trifecta. So you, you eat your protein yeah. and just depending on personal preference, like how much rice you put in your mouth yeah. with the miso. And it's just like all three or like your side ah, of pickles cool. kind of. So it's yeah. like, but they all go into your mouth at the same time. Yeah. It's not meant to be had like individually. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like we are, I, I keep, I don't, I never really know when I say we like, as in like, you know, because I grew up in Canada, yeah. right? and then, <laughs> but then I am Japanese. So it's anyways, but us like me growing up and like you and I like I think we I think like eat our steak and yeah. then have a potato or like yeah, you know for sure. or, or just like very yeah like separately we enjoy things very separately totally. and uh, and like wine drinking too I think um a lot of people will have like a bite of their food yeah swallow and then have wine yeah whereas sake and like miso soup or everything that we eat in Japan, um, it's meant to be had like together. together. Yeah, wild. I never even thought about that in all honesty. And I'm such a like, I compartmentalize my food like 
like I, I'm fine like mixing stuff like on a mm-hmm. you know like you got your turkey dinner mm-hmm. I'm happy having a bite of like everything have mm-hmm. it all mixed together whatever but like the classic example for me is like when you have like a cheese and charcuterie board or yeah. whatever and everybody's like making like sandwiches but they're just like cool like you got your your like cracker and then you have a jam and then you have uh you know a cheese and yeah. then you have a meat <laughs> item and then you have a pickle yeah. and you have that and me I'm like I want to know what each one of those things tastes like yeah. and this is probably from from the wine background but yeah. it's like I'm like okay I'm, I just want a bite of cheese yeah and then I'll have that bite of cheese and I'll just chill with it yeah. for a little bit and then I'll have a bite of meat and that'll be like the only thing yeah so it's yeah, I feel like I could uh, I, I could learn something from that. <laughs> but no, it. But in saying that, like you're absolutely right. Like I do, I've started to eat things individually. Like when I order things or when I cook things, I do have things, just like one bite mm-hmm. individually, just so I know yeah. what you know. I what like, is this like? Yeah, yeah, and I keep. I don't know why, but I just keep going back to steak and meat. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but. I normally it's when dark I order out, steak, it's yeah, cold, yeah it's and like, maybe I'm just that's what I want for dinner. I don't know, yeah, for but sure. um, yeah, I will always have sauce on the side because yeah. I, I I do want to oh, taste the meat, like but not the yeah. whole thing, just like a couple bites. I just yeah. want to be able to taste it yeah. first, and you know, so I do eat everything separately. But I think, um, yeah, like Japanese people, they actually eat everything. There's like that one yeah. perfect bite. And it's, that totally. perfect bite is different for everybody. For sure. But it's like choose your own adventure. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And so they say, and the other thing that they say is um, if you if you look at, um, mine's not a good example, but I'm also not eating, um, like, a, like a, a Japanese person's wine glass. Yeah. You'll notice that it's, pretty if they're eating like if they're if they're enjoying it with food that you'll notice it'll be really dirty because when they take a sip of their wine totally they'll still have food in their mouth yeah so you'll notice it's like yeah Yeah. so that they can pair it super cool yeah it's really interesting i love that yeah i love seeing those differences like one of the major things that i noticed in japan is is how much more they're willing to serve the sediment of the wine Mm -hmm. with the wine Mm -hmm. than than we do here in north america where like they let it settle the last little bit of bottle that uh, the last little bit of wine that has sediment in it we essentially just dump that out yeah versus uh like at multiple wine bars that i went to the guy literally shook the bottle before he poured me a glass to make sure that the sediment was like fully suspended uh and i was like this is cool i'm like i never thought about doing this but again like some of the flavors that come from that sediment make a lot of sense with the food uh and then also if you're like your um experience of drinking things is like uh you know tea and like sake and like you know you kind of crave some of those textural elements Mm -hmm. uh so it's yeah i don't know i found it all really really cool just to see those micro differences yeah being like wow i've never considered that but now i'm definitely gonna do that every once in a while at the very least just to like experience yeah exactly because it's totally different flavor experience very different yeah. yeah it is it is so neat yeah yeah fun cool yeah well, I feel like we've already been talking for over an hour, so I, I feel like this is a good time to wrap it up. Crazy. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and hang out. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. It was really drink fun. Drink some wine. And- I was super nervous. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't, and then I sat down, and I, and I got really nervous, and so I'm, yeah... I don't know what I said. Yeah. I hope I didn't say anything silly. Yeah. Well, you can listen to it later because your voice is going to be preserved on the internet forever. Forever. So (laughs) it's uh, scary. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, if anybody has any, uh, any additional questions, you can send me an email. My email address is eric, E-R-I-K, at juiceimports.com. Uh, if you have any questions for Mai, you can hit her up. Uh, you know, definitely go into Lonely Mouth. Uh, you know, come, come drink some sake, learn some things, taste some things, experience some new flavors. Uh, you know, the food is awesome. We can definitely vouch for that as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's it. Um, cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you. It was really <laughs> fun. And thank you for these delicious wines. They were like so good. Pretty fun. Lineup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, chat with y'all next month.